0: Hi Graham, how are you?
1: Hi Mel, I'm good, thanks. How are you keeping? You feeling better this week?
0: I am, I am. I'm, I'm getting there slowly but surely, like many thousands of other people that have had COVID. Um, but it's great to uh, be on our recording today as we have uh, Samantha Johnson, who is the policy lead for CIPP. Hi Sam. Hi, hi Mel. Hi Graham.
1: Hi Sam. Sam, I'd love to start. Just uh, cast your mind back if you can, and I'd love you to think about your first payslip from your first job do you do you remember your first paycheck
2: you know what my first job was when I was 15 years old working for a fruit and veg shop and I am not even convinced I even had a payslip I feel like I got my 20 pound for my eight hour shift and I went home quite happy with that Um, I think probably the first payslip that I remember is from my second job, which was working at Tesco. Um, So, yes, I remember getting that and being very excited about having a sort of grown up official um, document of my pay.
1: Fantastic. And and do you happen to remember what you what you did with your first uh, maybe cash in hand at that 20 pounds for the shift at the grocers?
2: that so that i do remember exactly what i did because i got that job because i was saving towards a flight to america um so my friends uh, family lived over in the states and i was convinced at the time that i was never going to get to go to the states and it was always my dream to do that and um, and i was saving to for a flight because i was going over with them to to go and see some friends so yeah that was the reason for the job
1: fantastic and did it add up did you get to go on that trip
2: I did I did I spent three weeks in Michigan and I loved it I was 15 years old and um she had family and, and kids that were a similar age and we went and looked around the high school and it was like walking through an American um, film set to be honest because it's all sort of the like the buses that you see on the films and all the lockers and all that kind of thing it was brilliant we loved it
1: Fantastic. So um, let's bring it back up to date, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk more about your your career and experience. So, where are you in the world today?
2: Um, Today, I am in the offices at CIPP, quite literally. Um, So, I'm policy lead for the CIPP. Um, Been working here for for 12 months. Um, Soon to be going into a new role. So, I'm actually going to be payroll services director um, for an accountancy practice. Um, Be moving into that role in a month's time. But, yeah, at the moment, leading the policy team here at CIPP.
1: Excellent. And so that's based in the UK and um, looking out for uh, the payroll profession across the UK. So how long, how long have you been based there?
2: Um, so I've been based here since, um, for 12 months. Um, my role is actually remote. So I live in Staffordshire, so around about an hour and a half away from Birmingham. Um, so predominantly do my role remotely but ultimately it's all about staying up to date with legislation keeping members up to date with changes in payroll policy um so it's something that I can do remotely and it's been really interesting because obviously recently we've started to get the events going again and they've been face to face rather than um online which predominantly they've been um since I started in post so yeah so my role is um yeah, well, keeping members up to date and, and looking after that payroll policy and, and legislation.
1: So you've had that really um, quite common experience at the moment, but quite unusual if you think about the, the span of time of, of actually starting in a new job in a, in a virtual environment, and a virtual way of working. Were there any takeaways from that for you about what, what, uh, what that's like as, a, as an employee coming into an organisation on a virtual basis?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's quite a strange one. I mean, I in my previous role, it, it, very very traditional company, very much you know, we want we want everyone to be in the office and to build relationships through teams, meet people for the first time through teams. Uh, it it was challenging, but but equally, it gave me a great opportunity to have sort of regular one-to-ones to to say, oh, let's have a quick catch-up, you know, a half an hour, even with people outside of the CIPP, I've been able to build a a wider network quite easily without worrying about bumping into people at events or um, or, or having to meet people face-to-face. It's given me that opportunity to build relationships up um, on a virtual basis but equally, you know, it can be difficult. I think there's still definitely that place for the office because that is where you can really get creative. You can brainstorm, you can, you know, bounce off one one another quite naturally. So yeah, strange experience, but I have been able to mix it up a little bit to to get the best of both worlds, really.
1: And it's great to hear that there are Plus sides to that experience as well, in terms of lower barriers to reach out and contact people, and everybody more used to working in a virtual way. And
0: yeah.
1: perhaps we'll come back and, and revisit some of those themes as we think about payroll into the into the future. Um, but for now, I, I've, I've been. We quite often start these conversations by stalking people on LinkedIn and looking at their experience. <laughs> and your your first entry into payroll looks like quite an interesting step because you studied law I and did. then went into payroll. So how did that come about?
2: so I, I studied law um, at the University of Leicester, and I decided I wanted to stay living in Leicester, so i 'm from Staffordshire, but I wanted to stay in Leicestershire at the time. I knew that i didn 't really want to go into practice in law I knew I was going to see my degree through, but i wanted didn 't necessarily want to become a solicitor or a barrister um, after i'd had sort of probably two years um, training so I wanted to do something though that still made my degree relevant so I was looking at different options I was looking at the Crown Prosecution Service I was looking at the Police Service and I saw a role um, that was going with the police and it was actually for a vetting um a vetting clerk which is people that what they do you know the CRB checks I don't think they're called CRB anymore but um the checks that people go through if they're going to work with vulnerable adults or whatever. Um, I Basically, administrated and I processed them. And then, after around about a year in that role working for the police, that's where I stepped into as soon as I left my degree. I decided, right, this isn't the role for me. This isn't the long term goal for me. What is it I want to do? And I started studying um, a maths A level just because I knew I'd always loved maths and I always had an affinity for numbers. And I decided, right, I'm going to be, you know, I want to go down that finance route, not quite sure where I want to go. And at the time, um, the department was going through a big restructure and it opened up a number of opportunities for me within the police where I didn't necessarily need any any experience to get the role. So a payroll administrator opportunity came up and I thought, well, that's in finance. It it sat in the finance team um, overall and I thought, yeah, I'm going to go for that. Um, and see what happens and I was um, really lucky the the manager there sort of saw something in me was really excited to bring me on board and and gave me a great introduction to to payroll as I started with that team and never looked back since.
1: And I do think I know Mel we've we've spent a bit of time talking about payroll as a as an industry but these people's entry into payroll it, it, it does seem to the the lack of a professional qualification or the requirement for a qualification does seem to create really interesting opportunities for anyone to come into payroll in that sense. So as we think about and you think about payroll as a career, I guess the industry as a whole should try and keep those options open for people to come in from all um walks of 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 business and and with experience.
0: Absolutely. And you think about how many people there's, I'm talking to more and more people that have got like a law degree that are, have gone into payroll, or, you know, um, on the compliance side, and also other organisations that are looking for people with a law degree to join the payroll sort of compliance side. So it's it's so interesting.
2: Yeah, and it's so relevant, you know, the amount of employment law that
0: we have to deal with, and we have
2: to understand in payroll, you know, it's great to have a route that can be an entry without experience because then you can recruit people for the right behaviours and the right attitudes and ultimately you can train them in that compliance piece. Because um, as we know, it, there's so, so many elements to the payroll role. You can bring someone in at that entry level and then give them more and more exposure as, as time goes on.
1: And so you you, you came in. They, they saw something in you. They gave you the opportunity, um, and uh, clearly you did you did well at it because you did it for a, a number of years, and then have built your your career pathway in in, in payroll. So perhaps a couple of times we've talked about um, the inflection point in in people's careers when they're doing a payroll job and, and they arrive at a point where they want what's next or something different. So what's been your experience of of that? How have you known when you're ready for a move and and what kind of a move you're looking for within payroll
2: so i suppose for me so my initial role with the police the reason that i moved away from that was because i wanted to move out of leicestershire i wanted to move back home to staffordshire and i think my the way that i thought when i was in that role was very much okay so i've got a payroll administrator team around me and i've got a manager and long term i would like to become that manager as I then moved outside of, of my first experience in payroll, I worked, um, I've worked in private sector, I worked in um, bureau, I've then moved on to, to work in an in-house team. I've seen that there's, it's very multifaceted, you know, you, there's so many routes that you can go down with payroll. And I think I started to consider, well, what, what suits me best, you know, what suits my skill set best? um and while I was working for JCB I think that that was what I really settled there because they would always challenge me they would always throw something new at me systems implementation changes to terms and conditions and various things that I needed to problem solve and, and implement and it's never really been a, a job title as such that's that's driven my ambition in payroll it's always been about what's the challenge and how can I um adapt to ultimately um, deliver on that. So, I've always just looked for a new challenge and something that's interested me to, to decide what my moves look like, really.
1: And it, it sounds with that cross-sector of, of bureau and in-house and private sector and public sector, and and then in a systems role, I think you said at, at, at JCB, you, you would have had a lot of different exposure to different Systems for calculating payroll or managing payroll, different technologies, different processes inside organisations. So, in, in all that experience, is there one right way to run payroll, or is it right for the organisation? Do you, you, you perhaps have a unique perspective yeah. on that?
2: I, I think it has to be right for the organisation. Um, ultimately, there are of course benefits that systems can bring that. You know, automation is is obviously the one that we cite the most. AI is something that we're talking more and more about going forward. But, you know, one of the projects that I led at JCB around the system was around what are we ready for? You know, what can our culture adapt to? What can our processes adapt to? Because you could have the best system in the world, but if you've not got the processes in place to, ultimately collect that data in the right way and process it in the right way, then you are not going to be able to utilize those systems as, as well as you want to. Um, so it, it's definitely an organizational decision as to how to use technology and payroll. But I think the more that you use it and the more that you can adapt um yourself and your culture and your processes, ultimately the more efficient that you can be. And with efficiency then gives you the opportunity to be more strategic as a payroll function to have that time to be able to influence the business more and make sure that you're delivering above and beyond what the function would normally do.
1: And was that, was that systems conversation in JCB a single country or a global multiple country? They're a business that operates in many different markets.
2: So it is a global business um, and we started the conversation off as a a global conversation. But from a payroll point of view, um, it was a a UK implementation because it made sense at the time in terms of the way that the business was set up. So we always we started the conversation looking at it as a global viewpoint, but ultimately around that readiness and around that um, what's right for the business. It was a, a UK change that we made. Um, in the project that I
0: led. Yeah
1: and I guess for a lot of people um, payroll systems or the the way you run payroll is so integral to that ambition of being always right on time um, you know making sure that the employees get paid no matter what's going on uh, in the business or around the world. Um, any any advice or thoughts I mean you've already offered one great one which is what are we ready for um, in terms of just going through that process first but in terms of actually managing a transition or a change any hard won experience or lessons learned to share with folks
2: i think the key one for me is about not making assumptions it's really easy to go into some of these conversations and and there'll be assumptions on both sides and you know don't be afraid of really fleshing out the detail and making sure that both sides are, are singing from the same hymn sheet because you know system software providers will have done uh, implementations multiple times with different clients with different needs so really spelling out your needs and really spelling out the outcomes that you're after is so so important and I think the other thing that I would say is just accept that there'll be resistance to change because if if you try and constantly manage and make sure that there's you know that absolutely everybody is happy and and um are going to be on board with it you'll you'll never achieve that you absolutely won't accept that there's going to be a resistance implement as many plans as you can to mitigate and to support people and help people um with that change and ultimately you know reward them and, and applaud them when they've got through the other side I mean my my team really struggled with the implementation you know they they got through the other side of it and they thought they weren't going to they're like how are we going to deliver on this system we don't understand it we can't use it and then when they did and they showed themselves what they were capable of all I had to do was say see look what you did that you know that was incredible give yourself a pat on the back.
0: I was with some payroll people uh, last week and they mentioned that they felt that payroll people were blockers so you you mentioned that Um, payroll your team were a bit resistant to change but maybe that's because it's new and quite frightening it's got a challenge it's like do your business as usual but would you agree that payroll can be blockers i i've i've certainly seen examples
2: of payroll people being blockers i have seen that but equally on the other side i've seen payroll people be the ones that are leading change and you know driving the business to do something different or do something more and I think it is all about the mindset that you choose to take, and it's I think that risk-averse part of us that 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 we want it to deliver accurately and on time, and that always being um, you know our requirement. That is something that will always be. The main thing in everybody's mind, but ultimately, there is also an option of being creative of looking at things a different way of you know asking can we change deadlines? can we change processes and how do we do that and I would always try and encourage people to do that where they can um, because that is how we stop for things like let blockers be becoming a label on payroll teams mm-hmm. and but also I think sometimes it's not just about. It's about explaining why when you're a blocker. So if it is that you genuinely can't make a change or there's a deadline that's in place for a particular reason, helping people understand the context of that rather than just saying, no, it's got to be submitted by this date. Often that can really help payroll teams become more integrated. So stuff like onboarding, you know, build your onboarding process alongside your recruitment team and your HR team. Because if you just say all new starter paperwork needs to be with us by the 15th of the month and give no reason why or anything else, then the likelihood is, is, is you'll be communicated to the employee as a blocker to say, oh, payroll well, won't pay it because you, you passed the deadline or or whatever. So keep those communication lines open and build those processes together, I'd say
0: it is a rather sweeping statement isn't it <laughs> to be honest very much so is in every every um, department in every uh, you know business to a certain extent
2: yeah and and it's what i i often compare payroll to it because IT, you know, every who jokes and go, Oh, I'll just switch it on and, and, and switch it off, switch it off and on again and I'm sure it'll be fine because that's all IT will tell me anyway. And until we really need IT and something's gone wrong, that's when we're leaning on them and, and we're asking so much of them. And I think payroll is is often the same. You know, we we only lean on them when we think something's gone wrong or um, when we need their support if you're outside of the payroll team. So it's, I think, helping people to have a bit more of an understanding of the complexity of what's going on. They've not got to know the detail because it's not their job to know the detail, but helping them understand the reasons why and the context for what payroll is doing can then really help those communications and remove those horrible phrases like blockers from um, from people's phrase books when they talk about payroll.
0: Do you think it's also uh, important for payroll to network with other
2: departments absolutely I mean if we're talking in-house if we're talking bureau I think it it, it's vital Um, I know in-house often it will sit either with finance or with HR quite often you won't see a standalone payroll department in-house but building those processes alongside those finance and HR teams are so important because if you build processes in isolation as payroll you aren't looking at the whole process. You aren't looking at where the contracts generated, or you know where the cost codes are going to go against the the various ledgers and and P and Ls and things. So you've got to make sure you have those joined up conversations so that you can ultimately be as effective as possible and and and, and make an impact as a payroll team.
1: And actually, I was looking at your background in in JCB. You seem to have then moved um role into a broader hr reward digitalization uh, scope so what was that transition like going from a payroll operation into maybe something a little bit broader that touched on more departments
2: so because i w- because i was leading the um, the system implementation it wasn't too bad because the reason that i stepped into that role was that the system meant that we needed to change the way that the HR department worked. We needed a shared service centre that could run all the administration, look after that system. Um, and it made sense that that shared service centre worked hand in hand with the payroll team because they were the two um, sort of pieces of the puzzle that that worked together. So really, it was a natural progression for me because I had led an um, sort of implemented those changes from the system perspective and then I stepped into the role that then looked after that as a business as usual once it was running and up and up and live so it yeah it was um, a natural progression in, as part of that systems implementation really.
1: Okay. But you, you made that step you say business as usual but you made that step just through the last two years which has been the least business as usual pay uh, oh, yeah. uh, phase ever, almost. So, so again, we'll just share a few examples, maybe of, of lessons learned or, or or your experience of navigating through the couple of years of, of lockdown and the COVID pandemic.
2: Yeah, so we we were very lucky actually that we went live. Um, I think it was November 2019. So before that, we had um, paper pay slips. the the system was 20 plus years old that we were utilizing um, wasn't cloud-based and um, the accessibility in terms of the team being able to use payroll from a um, on a working from home business pretty much just didn't exist so just by pure coincidence of timings we went live literally within months of um, everything happening with the pandemic so we were very ready, which was great um we were ready to go and adopt the with the working from home practices and um and, and, and tick all those boxes that we needed to do i I think if it had happened six months previously, it would have been um, i 'm not sure what we would have done if i'm entirely honest so mm. we were very lucky that we went forward with the, with the implementation and and we'd made that digitalization process we, well, we completed that digitalization process in in terms of um the pandemic and the various challenges I think much like any other payroll professional you know it was long hours it was understanding all the changes in legislation it was supporting the team and, and and translating some of them and helping them understand supporting the wider business because obviously suddenly the business were very very interested in um in payroll and 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 the impact that we could have there um so yeah a, a challenging time but quite an dare I say it quite an exciting time you know there was lots and lots to get our teeth into lots and lots of um challenges and issues to try and solve I love problem solving it's you know one of one of the best things about my role um so there were lots and lots of problems to solve at the time that that we could um yeah that we could look at
1: and it is it is interesting Mel we've had a couple of these conversations where people had gone live with technology actually not far in advance of, of, of the change. So whether that means the folks who were still on 20-year-old office-based systems are still too busy to come and talk is, is another matter. <laughs> but someone somewhere has been doing their pre-planning and their business continuity planning a, a, against an event, not knowing what that event would be. And in this instance, it was the pandemic. But Interesting to see that that there must have been a business case and a conversation that the business went through to say, yes, we're ready to make a change. We know that we're at the limits of what our current systems can cope with. And then to see the return on that so quickly, much more quickly than anyone would have expected. Um, So and if anything, the last few years have really thrust um, payroll into a a spotlight where people have have had to look at it again and, and, and say, okay, you know, we're dependent on this. Is it fit for purpose? Has it helped us through the last couple of years? and is that that's something that the increase in legislation is that something that 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 complexity that then led to you taking the role at the CIPP? because you're on the policy side now at CIPP, as I understand it.
2: Yeah. I think uh, with with payroll legislation and and policy it it's always been something that's really gained my interest and I you know I in previous roles I was always the person to say did you know this was up and coming I think I did a gender pay gap calculation about two years before it went live I didn't even know what the calculation would look like but because I'd talked about it with my director they said right give me an idea of where we're at now um so I had to sort of do a bit of guesswork and and try and help us understand as a business where where we were so I'd always wanted to to stay up to date because I really understood the importance of of those policy changes and ultimately then implementing them within a, a, a an operational payroll team because you've always got not only legislative things to consider in operational payroll you've then got all the contractual side of things. Um, holiday pay being one of them you know for the contractual side of things with holiday pay how many days you've got it's very not always aligned with statutory requirements or statutory minimum should I say because you've got a lot of people that offer above and beyond the 28 um, and all the variations that you can have in terms of calculation so I've always kept really close to that and then when the policy role came up it just felt like like I said at the beginning it was it just felt like a challenge that felt like an incredible opportunity that I could get involved in it, policy right at the beginning, but also have an impact on a membership base of thousands and and talk to talk to lots and lots of payroll professionals rather than just in sort of I suppose the bubble that I was in in my previous team. Mm.
1: So I want to switch gears slightly because that's brought us bang up to date in terms of the role that you're, you're doing today. Um, as you look back uh, uh, across your career, um, are there one or two defining experiences that have shaped how you think about the role and what you how you're thinking about your next challenge? Because if I understand rightly, you're moving on again soon. So yeah. you'll be excited about that. But as you look back over your previous experience, what are the one or two standout experiences that shape how you approach payroll?
2: I think my first one is was in my first role so when I worked for the police um, as soon as I stepped into the role I think I moved into the role in March and they enrolled me on the foundation degree in September so on the CIPP foundation degree and the team there really took the time to not just show me the process and the admin of payroll they took the time to explain right this is what salary sacrifice is and this is how we administer it and why we administer it in this way they explained all of the intricacies of you know pension calculations and made me feel comfortable with the context and the compliance knowledge as well as just all right we'll change this salary to £30,000 from the first of whatever um and, and, and the team were there were fantastic at that and then by going on to the foundation degree so early it gave me a real understanding of how broad a payroll role can be and it not just being an administrative process so I'd say that was my first defining moment and then I think probably my second would be at JCB and and, and the systems piece you know and and Looking at a system and what it could do for a team and what the art of the possible was, I saw one how important systems are to payroll teams because that you know it, it, we all lean on pay on um systems to process payroll, but also how creative you could potentially be when it came to systems and how you could start to define what happens in a business um by ultimately creating a process that, that supports payroll but also supports the employee whether that be through onboarding or offboarding or um you know changes in in um, contractual changes throughout their their employee life cycle it was interesting to see how wide a remit payroll really could have
1: so there's that core task of delivering payroll and and then there's how As you say, it it supports the employee experience and how wide it can go. So do you have a view around the future skills and and what should today's payrollers be thinking about and learning to equip them to succeed in, in that broader future?
2: I suppose a big chunk of it will depend on the role, because, you know, one of the things that we've talked about a lot recently as a CIPP is, the breadth of careers that you can go into with payroll, you know, you can go into global, you can go into systems, you can go into consultancy, you can go into in-house bureau. So it, it it's difficult to say there's a certain set of skills because those roles all differ so much depending on where you sit. Um, I mean, I would say my expertise sits more, um, well, my experience sits more in-house And I think with in-house, it is all about being a partner with the business, about looking at opportunities to, payroll have so much data and what I think sometimes payroll can see things that they assume everyone else sees. You know, department X is spending £200,000 on over time and department why is spending none why why is there this variance there shouldn't be but what they don't realize is that often businesses do split on a departmental basis you know that businesses do operate in silos and payroll have a very unique opportunity to be able to see all the finances of a business and what's going on so I think sometimes pointing out what you might think is the obvious pointing out the anomalies that are standing out to you in your in that overview that you have of all that data is a way to start conversations and start to have a a wider impact on the business because actually you can help them make operational decisions or you can point them into a direction to say it looks like these guys over here are doing something differently why don't you go and have a conversation and 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 make a and potentially make a change there or or align more there um so I I do think sort of that attention to detail that analytical side problem solving is really really important and 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 that applies I suppose in any payroll role whether you're in bureau whether you're in house whether you're in software those are the skills that you want to carry over but there are opportunities that are coming up things like financial wellbeing big topic at the moment if you're in in-house payroll and you want to um you know have an impact on the employee then that is a real area that you can you can start to develop and start to create some tools potentially or even utilize some systems if it's the right route for you to support employee financial well-being and show that you're having a direct impact on retaining and engaging employees within a business mm.
1: Can you can you expand on that a bit more? Because it's a phrase that I hear used in a variety of different ways. So, what's what's your definition of financial well-being?
2: Um, I'm not going to give a definition. What I'm going to do is maybe give a bit of context. So, the way that the way that I've personally explored this area is through the financial education route, and essentially what I've discovered is that there are lots and lots of tools out there that have been created I think um Martin Lewis the the money saving expert he's created a whole school curriculum on um financial education but what ends up happening is because it is not a mandatory item on the curriculum is so many people go into the workforce with very little understanding of what anything means on their payslip and and beyond that, you know, they they go into the workforce with limited understanding on things like credit and debt and and all of that all of that stuff that impacts our financial well being overall. And payroll obviously can't solve all of that. They they can only have a limiting impact on that. But I think it's about getting creative and thinking about your workforce first of all so you know working in a, a, law, in a law firm is going to be a different approach than working in a hospitality sector when you're thinking about financial well-being but it's producing a, a toolkit for employees to use to help them make decisions in in a different way or hopefully in a better way um so health and social care levy is a great example that's going to potentially, in, well, it will increase people's national insurance contributions, certainly for April, May and June. July is now a different story. Um, but talking to people about that upfront, preparing people for that change. I think payroll teams have always got to be very careful between that line of guidance versus advice, because unless we are paid and, and contracted to do so, we shouldn't be giving advice but we certainly have a remit to produce a lot of guidance and a lot of support for people so that they can understand their pay better know what changes are coming know what's going to hit their account and also potentially have um, access to some more tools like discounts or reward platforms that can help them make their pay go further as well
1: Mm. no thank you for that and it's um Michelle michael uh Mel, who we had on in the, the first uh series of, of the podcast, um, she's she's been involved in a new venture around this space and financial well-being and, and the development. And it is it is interesting. I've got school age kids and it doesn't get covered in the, the core mm-hmm. curriculum. Um and as you see things like you know, payday loans, buy now pay later, um, there's a lot more push on the credit side of the industry mm. to have people Take on debt than there is education around earnings and pay and how to manage that on the income um, side. So I think it's really interesting how you're thinking about that as a as a need for the payroll department and an opportunity going forwards.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry, Sarah. So just saying, we had a, a meeting last week, our first face to face, and we had a panel and we we talked about financial wellness and on demand pay, and it was it was quite an emotional topic. I think we could have spoken for more than an hour we only spoke for like 20 minutes on it um and it's a topic that um I think some payroll people aren't aware of but are being made aware of on-demand pay or financial wellness because I think they're two different topics but they're being put into one aren't they um and I I I think everyone agrees that there needs to be education on financial wellness um but as Graham mentioned about you know the the credit side or or the on-demand pay I think that's a totally different subject really.
2: I think with pay on demand it's one of those isn't it like you say it gets people you've got people on either side of the fence and it it can fall into the well-being argument because you could say you know people need access to money earlier and it's an alternative to payday loans and, and that kind of thing. But equally, I think some of the argument as well is it's just about control. You know, if I get paid on the twentieth of the month, why should I wait for my pay? Why shouldn't I be able to draw down on that when I need it? And I've I've recently been doing. um, We just closed the payslip statistics um, survey, and I've been pulling together the report on that. And it's really interesting. For the first time, this is this is exclusive, but for the first time in in a very long time we've seen a lot of people, so it's gone from 3% to 20% of people, have changed pay frequencies in the last 12 months. And most of them have gone to weekly pay because they've needed to um, for cash flow purposes, or they've gone to monthly pay because they've needed to to manage the furlough process. Previously, like I say, those figures were tiny. So it will be interesting to see in the next 12 months, now the furlough process isn't, isn't going to impact that decision, you know, will financial well-being generate more frequency and pay if that's what people find easier to to manage their payments? Um, but th- there is always that argument of, well, should I have control regardless of what I do with my money? It, should it be mine to control rather than it being about an alternative to payday loans and that more emotive side of that conversation?
0: And and I think that the younger generations see it as uh, the way that we get paid, like the weekly and monthly is really old fashioned now. Yeah, I really do think, you know, we need to change.
2: Yeah, I think I am. I think it's going to be slow. I don't expect this to be sort of the next couple of years, but I think in five to 10 years how we are paid there's a real possibility there that it could fundamentally change and and likely driven by that gig economy sector of of you know pay pay paying well demand and pay so i I, i've done my job i get my pay because i work in the gig economy why can't it be like that um if i'm in an employed sector but i suppose it's one of those let's wait and see what happens
1: uh the gig economy itself we do we do some global research around um people's experience of being paid accurately and on time um and the gig economy is is not great on that front globally (laughs) Uh, so i and i i I think you're right to group the two together because the the danger of any change it for an industry or for individuals is if they don't understand the implications of those change then money in the bank gets spent and then you get to the month end and there's no paycheck that comes in because it's been flowing in on a weekly or on demand or some frequency and you you haven't necessarily understood the context of the changes so i do think you know you from my personal view you were on the on the money so to speak as being financial wellness and, and financial well-being as part of the education process of how people take advantage of newer ways and, and more digital ways of, of, of being paid and interacting. You mentioned you know, just prior to the pandemic, switching from paper pay slips to digital pay slips. It feels like quite a small step now, but the system changes you had to go through to get there were, were quite big um, and educating your employees to access it either on a mobile device or on their computer and then and I'm sure a number of them still print it out and stick it in a file.
2: <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. But I think that online, you know, capability also gives us more, more scope to expand what we talk about with financial wellbeing because you've no longer got this paper payslip that you're handing to someone. You've got a whole online portal where you can share FAQs, you can share links to documents or links to websites, and it, it just broadens. The capability of what payroll can do and the influence that they can have on those people, albeit we do have to get them to look at their payslip, which we always know is a challenge.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm pushing it to a mobile device and allowing them to to see it presented differently—not as numbers on a on a on a typed sheet, but as a color graph where they can select, you know, how much tax did I pay, what was my national insurance, or what was my pension contribution—helps I think people better understand and interact with it. Um, but as you say, it's it's uh, you know there's there's a part of the The audience, I think, just never interacts with a a digital or a printed or any form of a a pay slip. As long as the money shows up in the bank account, they're they're busy doing other things. All right, good. Well, we're we're, we're getting um, close to the end of of time. And you've actually touched on something there around what payroll will look like in the the future. So curious about how you see payroll developing over the next five years. We've touched on skills. We've touched on the sort of more digital experience of, of pay. Anything else that you see Coming in the future for the world of payroll,
2: um, I, I think that the the spotlight that the pandemic put on payroll. I hope that we, as a payroll community, continue to build on that because you know we've we've seen the great resignation, we've seen people moving roles. I think more people than ever have a. Director title, more people than ever are heading up payroll teams at a really senior and strategic level in house and in bureau businesses. We're seeing the expansion of payroll software. So, I think what we will see in the future is a much deeper appreciation of payroll, less of an assumption of this back office function. So, I said I liken payroll to IT a lot. I think it will be seen a lot more in, in the way that IT is. So, you know, we don't worry about it if it's working and it, it's all fine, but we appreciate that what's going on in the background is actually probably complex and we don't want to worry about it because we don't quite understand. I think we the profile will keep moving in the right direction because the demand for great payroll people is there, Um you know, the pandemic has shown how important that is. And if we continue to build on that, then um, there, there's definitely going to be a move and a shift in the payroll profile. I think for the actual role itself, um, technology will remain a big part of what we do. Being able to understand and interpret and implement technology. Um, compliance is going to continue to be key and if not more so we've got the single enforcement body that we know is going to be introduced um, in the next few years so that's going to be looking at holiday pay a new regime around minimum wage so what will that look like statutory sick pay is going to be um, looked after by a single body for the first time ever I believe Um, so I think more than ever sort of the risk that sits in payroll and the requirement to be accurate and compliant is going to be higher on the agenda um, for many, many businesses because of these measures that are being brought in, which will only serve to in- increase that payroll profile and and hopefully um, keep the industry growing. You know, I want to see lots of new people coming into payroll, choosing payroll as a career. Um, and yeah, I think in five, 10 years time, hopefully we'll have lots of people that have joined us.
1: And I, I think it's interesting because we've talked a lot about the UK experience because you're, you're based here with a, a single country focus. And as you're talking about um, the uh, single enforcement body, I'm, I'm reminded of conversations I'm having with colleagues in Australia where the big conversation is around wage theft. And, and that's the language that's crept up around it in terms of miscalculating people's hours in some of the high profile legal cases. And then you've got China uh, rolling out the PIPL um, privacy law, the the equivalent of the GDPR, and 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 it just it's it's complex at a single country. Payroll has always been incredibly complex at a single country, and then just magnified up as you think about that pace accelerating in every um, country. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like your, your advice to uh, somebody coming into the industry is they've made a good choice. It sounds like there's plenty of Absolutely. opportunity. You're, you're not worried about RPA or artificial intelligence undermining the profession or doing away with the need for for skilled payroll professionals. Then you clearly see lots of future opportunity for, for many successful payrollers.
2: Absolutely. I think I think things like AI can only be, you know, a, an extra support for payroll teams and what we're capable of doing because payroll teams AI systems might flag an anomaly and payroll teams can look at that and say yes that is an anomaly or actually no it's not because I know bonuses have gone through this month or whatever the reason is they have the ability to interpret those um, those messages that are sent out and I think that's that's the skill for payroll, the interpretation, the problem solving, the analysis, the, the more that systems can help us with that, just we're just going to be quicker at responding. We're going to be quicker at sharing that data through the, the support of technology.
1: Fantastic. Well, this has been hugely insightful and uh, much appreciate you, you taking the time to talk us through your experience and some of your future perspectives. Mel, any, any further questions or last thoughts to wrap up with?
0: Uh, it's it's been a great conversation thanks uh, Sam and I wish you good luck in your your new role thank you thank you very much been good good to chat to you both thanks Sam this podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert